This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hall here by golly in Coach Hall's locker room. On a Monday morning, a bleak, bleak Monday morning. For the Florida Gator. And that's what we're going to have to talk about here for a while. I'm, I apologize. I apologize. But, uh, you know, we're in the Mellon Law Studio. Mellon Law is the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida fighting Gator that didn't fight much. And we're also protected 24 7, 365 by crime prevention and sponsored by on the spot cleaners, Poser MD. Uh, geez, where do I go from here? RR Construction, uh, Lacasio Allstate. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, well. Good morning, everybody. Morning, Jody, John Doles, Ken Hillier. Um, Ken, you probably felt all the repercussions all the way to Atlanta of the Gator yet again being the Gator. Um, I don't know. We're going to have to talk about it for a while in Coach Hogg's locker room. I mean, you can't not talk about it. <clears throat> the reason you can't not talk about it is – we are, as a culture, pretty infantile. Everything I'm going to say is my opinion. We have to be entertained. We have to be instantly gratified. We are very impatient. We are wishing that everything worked on our terms. And what's even more disconcerting about it is we're willing to pay for it. What these athletes are paid makes no sense. It really, but then what does make sense? A national debt, billions to Ukraine, writing off student loans, complaining about which bathroom you go in. I mean, are you serious? But it really comes sharply into focus. When you paid for the ice cream cone, but the thing melted before you could eat it. And you paid out the yin-yang for it, by the way. Under the notion it was the best ice cream cone you could get. Now, I've been watching Gator football. I mean, I'm dating myself. Since 1961. 
You can't surprise me with anything. My opinion. Coach Graves, what a good coach. Seven and three coach until Steve Spurrier came along. He wasn't a Bear Bryant who was running the SEC then, legend all the bit, all the above. We got a really good coach in my mind. We got Charlie Pell. Charlie Pell probably assembled on the Florida football field. The best collection of football athletes that have ever been here. I know. Somebody's got, well, what about this? Well, I mean, I'm just telling you my opinion. And he paid or loaned or whatever, some child support payment money, something like that, to a kid of color. And, of course, he was turned in and kicked off and tried to take his own life a couple of times as a result. Really good coach. Really good coach. So good that the rest of the league didn't want him. Well, that set us back for a while. And we went through athletic directors. I don't want to get into all of them. And finally, because those of us who knew him were his buddies in college, hollered loud enough and long enough, you need to get Steve Spurrier here. However it works. I don't know how it works. I've known Steve since 1964, 65. I don't know how it works. But he has the magic touch. He's no nonsense. He'll whoop you quicker than you can see. And he came here. And if we're not for Steve Spurrier, there'd be no tradition, no legend, no nothing in terms of football at the University of Florida, in my humble opinion. And, you know, Steve is Steve. And so he wanted to go try the pros. He got tangled up with the worst owner in the world, Snyder, of the Redskins, now the Commanders. That threw him for a loop. And then we struggled along. Struggled along. Galen Hall. Oh, my golly. Who knows what next? And then finally, we get Urban Meyer. Win the championships. And then Urban Meyer takes off. And we go look. And we get more athletic directors. And then we finally come to this guy, Billy Napier. Now, I'll just put it out on the table for you. He's never been my cup of tea. And I'll tell you why. 
he coaches meaner that baseball coaches coach with. Let me explain if you don't get it. I was a pitcher in baseball. I understand a lot about it. Strategy. Thinking. Statistics. You look at the baseball managers. Pensive. Quiet. Unless they go out and scuffle the umpire or something. But generally, analytical thinkers. That's their demeanor and it fits there. That's not all, but that's generally it. That's Napier. He's in the wrong sport. He's in the wrong sport. He's not kicking any Gatorade buckets over. He's not smashing clipboards. Throwing a visor. And you say, what's that got to do with anything? I'm saying coaching football. Football is a barroom brawl from the very beginning. It is a street fight. It's not a cool, calm, collected double play, bunt, hit and run. It's beat the man. And we got the hell beat out of us physically. In the pit, in the line. And everybody seemed to be calm about it. I mean, come on. I mean, here are some of the stats on this guy. And I'm... I knew it was going to come out sooner or later. 9-9 nine and nine record, 18 games into his tenure. Blown out by Oregon State, 30-3. And last season's Las Vegas Bowl in which the Gators kicked the field goal with 37 seconds remaining to maintain uh, the program's NCAA record run of consecutive games without being shut out. Oh, well. Charlie Pell, in his first season, started out miserably. Didn't have much to work with. Next year was a different story. Well, this was next year for Napier. He has a seven-year contract. A seven-year contract. The value, as the car dealers say, $51.8 million. Dollars. $51.8 million. The University of Florida crippled his salary 
when he's at Louisiana Tech. They paid him $7.27 million in 2022, ranking him fifth among SEC coaches. Now, to make it worse, Florida is trying to raise capital for a stadium improvement of significant amount. Napier is not going to help that. There's also the collective, the, the slush fund sitting back there that you buy players with. Nobody's going to pump money in the slush fund. If Florida were to fire Napier, it would still owe him 85% of his total remaining annual compensation through the otherwise unexpired term. Now, Napier would be paid 50% of that buyout within 30 days of being fired. All the remainder would be paid in equal installments, 12.5% over four years. I don't know how many coaches we're still paying. I didn't look that up before we came on the air. I mean, Mullen is sitting over there on announcing. I know we're still paying him, I'm sure. Urban Myers over there announcing. I don't know if Napier would make an announcer even. Listening to him was like watching paint dry. Six and seven record in 2022. Three and two right now with, you know, all that questioning going on. Okay. And this is just one article I'm quoting from. Just one. Just one. Compare this to, and you can't help but do it, because he's the biggest story in sports right now. Deion Sanders, whose team lost to USC, that has a Heinzman Trophy quarterback, but they fought tooth and nail and only lost by one touchdown and never quit. Omiron Miller, keep your eye on that guy. Freshman. More and more will be coming to Colorado. But what does Colorado get from having Dion at Colorado? And what does Florida get from having Napier at Florida? When Rick George, the athletic director of Colorado, introduced Deion Sanders on December 4th last year, he said, we don't have the money yet. 
But 10 months later, he's got the money. How did he get it? Colorado is going to pay Sanders over five years through 2027. $29.5 million, including $5.5 million this year. But here is the estimated return value on that investment to the Colorado University Buffaloes just one month into Dion's first season. You want to guess what that is? $280 million. USA Sports has calculated this. And they think that's a conservative estimate. Where does it come from? An increase in football ticket sales from last year, $20 million increase. Increases in donations. $8 million increase. And in the other categories, the other sports there, at least a $3 million increase. The estimated value of the increased media exposure. Are you ready for this? The estimated value of the increased media exposure that came to Colorado with the hiring of a Pro Football Hall of Famer. $249 million. And the likely number, according to USDA Today, is probably much higher. It doesn't include the donations to the school after June 30th and merchandise merchandise sales at campus stores. Boulder, Colorado, has become the epicenter of the sports world. Coach Prime is like a constantly recurring national advertisement for Colorado University. There's a term for this. It's called earned media. It is not necessarily cash revenue, but it leads to enormous amounts of cash in other ways over time. Just as an example, from December 4th until this week, Colorado University has generated, are you ready for this? Sixty-eight thousand five hundred thirty-six mentions in the media. This is from the university's media monitoring service. This has resulted in an advertisement equivalency of three hundred seventy-five million dollars. It includes TV viewership, radio, online and print media. It doesn't even include social media mentions. To compare this to the period before Prime came, 
there were 17,674 media mentions and the estimated ad equivalency was 126 million. So he has tripled. He has tripled the ad equivalency income. And this is just four games into the season. So the public relations outfit in New York that monitors such events as this says, the University of Colorado has more than gotten 100% return on its investment. In five years' time, are you ready for this? If Dion stays at Colorado for five years, given the way his teams are coached, given the way these kids play, he will have earned Colorado University the equivalent of $1 billion. His flamboyant personality, his fame, his success is the spotlight of sports. The Colorado Buffaloes have drawn more than 35 million viewers combined for their games so far on Fox, ESPN, and ABC. Coach Prime has been on 60 Minutes. When he was on 60 Minutes, which I never watched, but I watched for that, he drew nearly 12 million viewers. In September alone, after four games, Colorado University has generated 31,227 total media mentions or an estimated ad equivalency of $128 million. Ticket sales. Even if you don't count earned media, Colorado earned enough from the prime effect in other areas to essentially pay for his contract over five years. Colorado sold out of all football tickets this year for the first time in history. It also sold out of season tickets for the first time since 1996. The season sellout is budgeted to bring in $31.98 million. Last year, the Buffaloes had one of the worst teams in America and sold just $12.68 million in tickets. So there's a difference of about $20 million. There's a difference in donations already 
of $8 million. And in other categories, there's a $3 million bump. There you go. So I go back to the question. Is Billy Napier worth to the University of Florida $51.8 million? Well, who thought he was or could be? If Napier's head rolls, so will Scott Strickland's. You took a guy from a lesser league. Nobody knew. Gave him a seven-year contract worth over 50 million bucks. Rolled the dice and thought you'd get a return. Compare athletic directors. Compare the athletic director, Rick George of Colorado, to the athletic director, Scott Strickland of Florida. It is a most interesting situation. Is it not? Wall Street Journal. Big article about, guess who? Deion Sanders. The sports pundits who watch it, even Nick Saban thinks he's very smart, that his teams play with discipline, do a good job of executing. None of which the University of Florida did. He has an offensive coordinator because conventionally most of the head coaches don't call the plays themselves. Now, Pierre calls the plays himself. He has a speedy offense. He has a highly organized approach and high expectations to a program that is basically built on all new players. He demands compliance in order to instill discipline. And he has a tremendous attention to the little things. Long article in the Wall Street Journal about it. If he has a meeting at 7.15 in the morning, he'd better be there at 7.07. His practices are short but have high intensity. If they don't have high intensity, he'll start to practice all over again.
He doesn't really have, even yet, his full stable of players. So there you are. Just a few things here to think about in good old Gatorland, where once again, I want to close out before we take our bottom of our break with this uh, little thing which I was watching the Ole Miss LSU game. And I heard him say it. And this is what he said. The announcer Griffin during Ole Miss's uh, comeback bid. After the Rebels stopped an LSU player, Griffin says, they lifted that man up right there like he was Jesus, and they were going to put him on the cross. Let's play that production, and then we'll take a break for the weather. They lifted that man up to the sky like he was Jesus, letting them know they're going to put him on the cross right there. Wow. Great job by Ole Miss's D. They lifted that man up to the sky like he was Jesus, letting them know they're going to put him on the cross right there. Wow. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Word Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. 
I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors. All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather, brought to you by Lewis Oil. Chevron stations, Wendell Lewis, fossil fuel. Well, we're heading into fall, 71 right now in God's country of Piney Woods in North Central Florida. And we'll get up to a little bit below 90 today. And there is cooler weather coming to the south. It's been a hot, hot south during the summer. But get ready all the way down from the Rockies and Canada will be coming your cool air. So it'll be here for long. Take care because when it comes, you'll be wanting to Warm weather back again, right? I can just hear it now. That's essentially the story. And um, we'll uh, wait for it to come and enjoy it as the fall changes. Well, got to go into a little local news here in Gainesville, even though we have an international audience. But, you know, here we are in a community that is much like all the other Democrat-run cities, run poorly, run on ideology, don't know much about money, spend it like they're drunken sailors. I apologize to the sailors. Um, And even had the audacity to get a group of citizens who weren't really even victims, if you will, Robert Carl Hutch Hutchison, the communist commissioner involved with it, to try to try to get a lawsuit to stop the state appointed board to run Gainesville Region Utilities. You know, they act as if This was done flippantly or with a snap of the fingers. They've got one guy complaining about a big loud mouth uh, who is uh, Eastman, Brian Eastman. I think that's his name. I know the young man. I don't even know if he was born when the problems with robbing GRU came about. I know he wasn't paying electric bills to him. Too young. But now, Ryan Eastman, he got a voice. He got something to say. He got an opinion. Rather than be constructive, helpful, you know, he blames anybody who challenged it when he wasn't even around for it. And Cynthia Chestnut, These people just say what they need to say to make themselves feel better. She has a quote. I'm very disappointed with the ruling. I certainly expected a different outcome based on the state constitution. Really? 
You really did? Really? Well, that's political speak. It's still got a, perhaps, audience in a federal court. But um, it's what it is. It's not like they didn't have a lot of opportunity. You know, Tony Jones announcing he's stepping down as a CEO retiring. The CEO of Gainesville. What in the world is that? What is the CEO of Gainesville? Is that in the charter? Brian Eastman? Cynthia Chestnut? You care about documents that grant statutes. Would you show me that? I mean, how about this Zariah Houston, I guess is his name. The head of $200,000 a year or some such. It's crazier than the football coaches. To be the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Are you kidding me? And I'll be serious. We have kind of the poster child or Political ideological scams. And I want to go through it with you because we got plenty of these versions around. Plenty of them around. Ibram, I guess is the way you say his name, X. Kendi. Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. And yeah, let me just say it again for you. Boston University's Center for Anti-Racist Research was founded by Ibram X. Kendi. And the entire university, according to David Cosmino, who wrote about this for the Wall Street Journal, supported itself, subordinated itself to the anti-racist research ideology. Meanwhile, last week, the center had produced almost nothing since its founding in June 2020 and has been 
riddled with financial mismanagement, dysfunctional leadership, and failure to honor obligations attached to its millions in grant money. Now, when this guy came to Boston University, he created and endowed, when they got all this center set up, a center on anti-racist research. The first thing the university students had to do, the university canceled all classes, meetings, and events for a day called Day of Collective Engagement on Racism and Anti-Racism. Our realities and our roles. And during this day at Boston University, voter identification laws were denounced, for example, as expressly anti-black. Ronald Reagan was blamed, bless his heart, he's gone, with flooding black communities with crack cocaine. Every black person was declared to be literally George Floyd. I'm not making this up. One speaker said it was time to revolutionize the entire Boston University institution and make anti-racism central to every discipline and requirement for all faculty hiring. The following summer, Boston University departments published anti-racist statements limiting academic freedom and subordinating inquiry to that ideology. We saw this at the University of Florida. Go to Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. Look at the documents. We sniffed it out and shared it with you. Boston University sounds like a carbon copy of what we found at the University of Florida. The School of Theater has to plan to audit all syllabi, courses, and policies to ensure conformity with, quote, an anti-oppression an anti-racist lens, end quote. And furthermore, discussed placing monitors in each class to report violations of anti-racist ideology. 
the sociology department publicly announced that white supremacy and racism were pervasive and woven into their department. The English department said that any material or scholarship from a white or Eurocentric lineage could only be taught through an actively anti-racist lens. Hiring quotas were even published based on race. They committed to hiring at least 50% BIPOC, B-I-P-O-C, which is an acronym for Black, Indigenous, or People of Color. Tony Jones was the CEO of the city of Gainesville at his last job when he retired. Now he's going over to work for Kramer. Huh, state attorney. Meanwhile, sensible faculty on the Boston University campus were terrified to speak up. Their colleagues had had major professional damage done, had been falsely denounced as racist. Any notion of anti-racism suggested a definition of racism. There were no competing ethical and political views allowed. And the real culprit, according to this author, who was, of course, a member of the Boston University faculty, associate professor, who got stung by this, of course, was that the entire institution, the entire institution was made, ordered to embrace, you got it, I'm going to say it, a diversity, equity, and inclusion as a criteria for getting tenure, for getting hired, for writing disciplinary standards. And meanwhile, nobody knows where the money went. Nobody knows where the money went. Well, isn't doesn't that sound like Gainesville? That nobody knows where the money went. 
in my midnight auto yard here. I have an article somewhere that talks about uh, some more about this sort of stuff. Let's see if I can find another example. It's everywhere. Harvard. Here we are. Harvard. Harvard's newspaper, the Harvard Crimson, has called the university's recent restructuring of its essays on applications to have a disparate impact on those with marginalized backgrounds. A marginalized background. The people of BIPOC, according to Harvard students who've been filled up with this stuff, believe that BIPOC applicants have undergone traumatic experiences that asking them to write for an admission to Harvard intimidates them. Because the BIPOC student doesn't come from a privileged background, from a well-resourced background. Writing an application, I guess, is like post-traumatic stress syndrome. Finally, I want to conclude with this. I think this applies to all of us. Why is anxiety rising? A recent survey reported 27% of respondents had symptoms of anxiety disorder. That was up 8% from 2019. Youth emergency room visits for mental health have gone up significantly. Gymnast Simone Biles and tennis player Naomi Osaka have withdrawn from their sports because of anxiety. PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan took leave because of anxiety. The culture has an extinction anxiety. Biden's up there calling the climate crisis an existential threat. We all know what a COVID anxiety is. Lockdowns, school closings, double masks and face shields. We all know what status anxiety is. Trying to compete. So we've made t- taken care of that with participation trophies. 
No one gets turned down. Speaking anxiety, as students now are afraid to use the wrong pronoun for fear they'll be labeled oppressors, no one can keep up with the language changes. Bedrooms are no longer master bedrooms. Tampons are in men's bathrooms. And of course, the capstone is Trump anxiety. What is going to be the next trial? What is he going to be charged with next? We even got a retiring general, Mark Milley. who says in a thinly veiled shot at Trump, he's a wannabe dictator. And he says, we don't take an oath to a country. We don't take an oath to a tribe. We don't take an oath to a religion. We don't take an oath to a king or a queen or a tyrant or a dictator. We don't take an oath to a wannabe dictator. You do take commands from the commander-in-chief. He didn't bother to say that. If you take an oath to the Constitution, you take an oath to obey the commander-in-chief. Are you kidding me? What's wrong with this guy? kind of person stands up there and says that as a re- resigning military chief of staff as uh, militaries or does it, you know I don't get it I don't get it Western Journal a lot of people writing about this blows them away but this guy would say this Even on ABC, they said Trump never issued any illegal orders despite the left claiming he was a dangerous dictator. So you got a lefty general. He had to admit to Martha Radish that Trump never issued any illegal orders. So do you feel anxious? There's a reason. Pick out one of the categories. There are enough to go around for everybody, huh? Incredible. Simply incredible. I got four or five articles on it. 
This is the guy that all of us pull out of Afghanistan. He said all this at West Point. It's amazing. Seven billion dollars of equipment left behind in Afghanistan and the return of power to the Taliban and the needless deaths of 13 U.S. service members. All under Miley's command. Go figure. Go figure. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Have a great day. Or Hall Command Center out.